Today on Millennial. They're totally invested in what you've spoon fed them, which is that you're the my wife guy. Of course, they're going to feel some type of way. Of course, they're going to have an opinion. Unfortunately for them, they invited the public into their home life. Talking about Iran, it's not about Islam. And talking about this country, it's not about Christianity. It's about control. It's always about control when it comes to women. So I I think that we're kind of consuming a diet of steady, steaming bullshit if we think that something like this wouldn't be possible here. How about the blonde roast, though? No, I hate the blonde roast. Tastes like piss. I really like the blonde roast. Okay. Honestly, okay. No. All right. Tastes like piss. <laughs> There's moments on the show sometimes that I just know are going to stick with me forever. And now I know every Saturday morning I'm going to be having my first sip of Starbucks blonde roast. And I'm going to be like, ah, oh, yes. Tastes like piss. The piss is extra good today. <laughs> Welcome to Millennial, the home of pretend adulting and real talk. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. I was sitting out back earlier today having lunch with Pat, and um, he looks at his phone, and he goes, oh my god! And I'm like, oh, he must be reacting to what's going on over in Russia, or some news from President Biden. No, he's reacting to the news that one of the four Try Guys has left Try Guys, Inc. And Pat was not the only person who was rocked by this. Many people were, including Chloe. And Pam, Pam, you've been a longtime viewer of the Try Guys, right? What the fuck is going on today? Because a lot of people don't even know who the Try Guys are. Me included. No. Oh, (laughs) my goodness. Okay. Just strap yourselves in because it's kind of like a long and winding story. But um, I kind of envy Pat not knowing about this until this afternoon (laughs) because I saw this last night when no one was awake. Oh, you were all alone. And I just sat there falling down the rabbit hole, trying to piece all of this together, which obviously fans had already been, you know, doing this. So uh, they did a lot of the legwork for me, but we should probably start by explaining who they are. So they're a group of four content creators who were originally BuzzFeed employees, and they were part of BuzzFeed's big YouTube boom of the 2010s and arguably one of the most popular branded groups to come out of that company. They've since split from BuzzFeed. That happened back in 2018, and they've gone on to launch their own very successful production company called Second Try. They have multiple ventures through this, and they also have, you know, a whole network of employees as well. So they're doing very well. They also just released, like, their own um, reality cooking competition series over on the Food Network. So the trackers are doing just fine, and they've never really been embroiled in any sort of scandal so prior to last night and today, probably the the biggest drama to come out of that group was the fact that they were splitting from BuzzFeed and going at it alone. Yeah, uh, and this is this is a doozy, as you alluded to, uh, because the TLDR here is that Ned Fulmer, one of the Try Guys, has left following accusations of cheating, and in addition to this, he also uh, allegedly cheated with an employee of the Try Guys. So it's messy all around. Ned is married and has two kids too, making it all the worse. Right. And his wife features very heavily on the, uh, in their content. She has 
featured since the BuzzFeed days, um, and even more so after they broke off. They also have done offshoot series through the Try Guys banner together, mostly involving just being a cute, happily married couple. His kids have also featured in the content as well. So it's safe to say that it's pretty prevalent. And that's why people care so much, honestly, in addition to just being, you know, attached to the four guys themselves. Yeah, growing up with these online creators, we spoke about parasocial relationships earlier this year. It'd be like a big podcast scandal. It'd be like right. if you found out that I cheated on my wife and uh, I had two kids at home, like it'd be equally shocking, I think, for a lot of people. I could see why this rocked so many people and kept you up all night, Pam. Pam's yeah. not on camera today. Now I know why. It's because she didn't sleep a wink. She was so I'm just disturbed. too distraught yeah. over <laughs> Ned, my wife, Fulmer, being the guy that ended up cheating. So that's the <laughs> other thing to keep in mind here. I mean, Ned, as a, as a personal brand, has always made the fact that he is deeply in love with his wife a huge part of his online character. Oh. You can YouTube search, like, Ned, my wife, and compilation videos will come up aplenty. I, I, you cannot, you've lost count if you're a fan of how many times he said, my wife. It's, it's a, it's a big joke. And now even more so because of this. And you shared this TikTok with us. Him and his wife did a cookbook together and it's called the date night cookbook. And Mm -hmm. this TikTok shading him was created by, a former Try Guys staffer? Is that right? Do I have that right? Yes. So even ex-staffers are shading Ned. Wow. Oh my God. I mean, they listen, I'm telling you guys, it's it's really sad because unfortunately for the both of them, they have made a career out of being married with children very publicly. You know, they've had um a podcast together through the Try Guys banner. They've had endorsement deals through the Try Guys banner. I think they did an endorsement deal with Target specifically. You just mentioned the cookbook. They have a whole date night cooking show series under the Try Guys banner. Ariel is also a co-host on one of the spinoff podcasts under their production company. It's called You Can Sit With Us. And it's her and the rest of the quote unquote Try Wives, which is just like the Try Guys partners that they all host a podcast together. So it it's a big mess for them and a PR nightmare. Can the new third wheel sit with them? Well, so it's funny that you mentioned that kind of because as an employee, she's also been featured very heavily in the Try Guys videos. So mm. in addition to partaking in, you know, some videos even about like the fact that she was set to get married, she also very heavily features in the Try Guys Eat the Menu series. She's one half of a branded duo called the Food Babies, and it's her and another assistant producer that come in and review food. So the fandom also knows who she is, which makes this (laughs) 10 times worse. Yeah. So Redditors came to discover this initially. They were putting pieces together. The way that they discovered that Uh, he had been kicked out or he decided to leave was pretty fascinating too. They started noticing that he wasn't, Ned wasn't appearing in videos and they would also crop Ned out of the videos. You would see a very clear cut in the background where Ned was sitting in the middle of two people. Some people even noticed like a bit of his sleeve still got 
made it through the final cut. They also like put uh, pieces together about a recent trip to Vegas, and somebody shared a video of Ned allegedly making out with somebody uh, in a club in New York. Like all these things came together. I assume you saw this on Reddit, Pam, last night before things really started blowing up. Okay. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about that post as well, I don't know if you got this far down into it, but like I said, I just, I had a lot of time on my hands last night. So this post, this original post, which has since been deleted and the, the account that posted originally has also been deleted, actually was posted way back on September 3rd, but it just didn't get a lot of traction. And it kind of fizzled out, but there was one fan who essentially commented back on this post that basically just very cryptically claimed that Ned had done something bad, saying that this was fake news, there was no proof. So then OP is like, oh, if you want proof, I'll give you proof. Private message this fan claimed to actually be the fiance of the girl he was caught cheating with and then shared screenshots of a DM conversation between himself and another fan who saw the two of them making out at a club near NYU. So that's kind of how all of this unfolded. And if they had said something or even tried to cover their tracks a bit while they figured this out by saying, you know, Ned was taking a break or he wasn't going to be in anything, then maybe fans would have just kind of not dug so far into this. But because, like you said, they tried to just cut him out of a lot of videos when he's not really known for being the one that's usually absent, it kind of sent everybody on a wild search to figure out what was going on. And that's when this Reddit thread was rediscovered and it just kind of spiraled from there last night. Okay. Well, first of all, I just want to say we're spending more time on this than I anticipated. (laughs) This really means a lot to Pam. (laughs) Good for you, Pam. I thought you wanted to know all of the tea. (laughs) Yeah, I We really don't have to spend this much time on it. This is such a deep dive. Something that I also found fascinating is that BuzzFeed writers are sounding off on this like crazy. One, a former BuzzFeed writer uh, joked that all of BuzzFeed staff between 2013 and 2016 are deeply cursed. Here's something I learned today. Quinta Brunson, the star and creator of Abbott Elementary that we recommended on the show a while ago, season two just premiered. She used to write for BuzzFeed. Did you know this, Pam? I did not know this. Yeah, She used to be featured in video content. Like she was in videos with sometimes with the Try Guys in various iterations. I didn't know that. Yeah. So she's this huge Hollywood star, just picked up a couple Emmys a weekend or two ago. She's tweeting about this today. She tweets, all I know is, is that there's a new episode of Abbott Elementary tonight. And then she included this Oprah gif. And it's Oprah saying, that's what I know for sure. Ned's wife came out and said that they want privacy and they're focusing on the family. So I guess they're not going to end things. Not that it's any of our business. Yeah. And and well, and then to add to that, I don't know if we explicitly mentioned, but the Try Guys as a corporation also released a statement saying that they were cutting ties with him so he's no longer after an investigation part of the group as well yeah exactly after an internal investigation uh, but the point that i really wanted to make and we can wrap after this is that i there's also been you know on the other side of things people saying you know that this is part of people's personal lives and even though they're public figures we should give them their privacy and while i agree with the sentiment of that going forward because i'm sure that this is very painful for his wife to have to deal 
deal with on the public stage. At the same time, when you monetize your marriage and you monetize your children and you build a platform based on both of those things, you cannot then turn around and expect your fans just not to care. Totally agree. Yeah. They're totally invested in what you've spoon fed them, which is that you're the my wife guy. Of course, they're going to feel some type of way. Of course, they're going to have an opinion. And for anybody out there who's saying, you know, like, we shouldn't care, we shouldn't be talking about this. I think that you should really just take that into consideration that unfortunately for them, they invited the public into their home life. And like in you some s- way or another. And like you said, they were profiting off of their marriage very purposefully. Yes. Advertisers will flock to online creators with children mm-hmm. and, you know, people in happy marriages because they can sell products for the home, for children, etc. That's huge business. Yeah. And it's funny because there are, and this is just kind of a closing point here, there are a number of prominent influencers who bank on the image of their family. It's usually husband-wife combo with a couple of kids, and they really monetize those relationships and those dynamics and making people feel like they're seeing into these people's lives and households even. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with Pam on that. You can't expect people to not give a shit. <laughs> Imagine if Ned was actually having an affair with with one of the other Try Guys. I think that would have been incredible. That would have broken the internet. Andrew's like, that would have been juicier. (laughs) (laughs) The gay here wants this to be more gay, please. Let's turn our attention to us, other online creators, though definitely not as big or successful. But that's okay, because we love having this loyal audience who has stuck with us over all these years. And of course, you can support us on Patreon. And when people support us at various levels, you get different benefits depending on how much you pledge. At the Bay level, you get a new physical gift every year. Earlier this year, we unveiled the Millennial Water Bottle, which is actually sitting behind me, and it's been great seeing people use that. It was technically the 2021 gift, but it got delayed, so it had to come out this year. But as promised, we are unveiling a second gift this year, so we are all up to date on what we've promised you. And today, we are excited to announce that the 2022 gift for Bay patrons at patreon.com slash millennial is... The Millennial Adulting Planner. And I have it right here, baby. This is a weekly planner offering you two years of sheets so uh, you can get your shit together. We have spoken for the past, what, couple of years, gang, about mm-hmm. how we use planners, journals, notepads to help us get through the week. And we've spoken about how beneficial they are. So we thought, well, why don't we create our own? You'll see there's uh, room for each day of the week and the weekend. And then at the bottom of each page, we have a couple of bonus boxes where you can log different things. Like if you took a hot girl walk, if you listen to the new millennial, if you've had enough glasses of water in a day. And these rotate every week in an effort to help build some habits. 
I cannot wait to get mine because in addition to being super adult, because you'll have a planner, right? That's huge. <laughs> It'll be huge for me because uh, I haven't had a full on planner in a couple of years. Um, so clearly I need some help. But it's also just going to be nice to have something that's going to last for a while that I'll be able to reference my old notes in over the course of a couple of years. Um, and it's cool because it's even got our... Uh, art of the three of us printed up at the top of every page. That's my favorite part. I know. That's my it, favorite part. <laughs> well, and it looks good, too. Like, the quality of it looks really good. The The printers have done a great job. Yeah. And we, we definitely designed this, you know, taking into account what works for the three of us in the hopes that it also will work really well for you all as well. So, yeah, that's, you know, hence, like, the spiral bound notebook instead of like the glue like Laura said like that was super important (laughs) which seems really funny but you know I just want y'all to know that we definitely thought long and hard about what we wanted this to look like we were picky really really excited about it we were we went through a couple of designs like we just redesigned it not long ago because we didn't like the way the first design turned out so yeah we've been doing a couple of uh test prints too to make sure it all looks good because we don't want to go to print on something that uh we're not ultimately happy with so yeah i mean like you two were saying i can't get through a week without a daily planner like i need to write stuff down that way i can look in advance at what I have coming up, it can also help you de-stress because if you have all your thoughts swimming in your head, it's so much more helpful to write them all down. And then you look at it and you're like, okay, I can get through this week because I'm taking care of all these tasks on different days and they will get done. You know, you balance it all out. So that's the goal. Like I said, this is available to those who pledge $10 or more a month at the Bay level at patreon.com slash millennial. You have to pledge or upgrade by Thursday, October 20th to receive your adulting planner. And you also have to fill out the order form by Saturday, October 22nd. I'm going to be posting everything momentarily. And in addition to this gift at the Bay level, you also receive a new physical gift every year. Plus, you get to hang out with us every month on Zoom. We do a monthly hangout, which is always a lot of fun. You get every installment of After Dark. You get access to our recording studio. You get occasional breaking news coverage, amongst other benefits. So check it all out. And it's really important that we receive listener support on Patreon because Patreon frees us up from having panic attacks over advertising. Advertising is unpredictable. It's uh, very messy. And it's so much better having steady, reliable support from listeners like you on our Patreon. That's the gift. We hope everybody enjoys it. We're really, it's really cool that like we can make a journal. I know. It does kind of feel like obviously, you know, our funds are limited, but it feels like the sky's the limit with these physical gifts, which I just think is so cool. Like, yeah, we were able to design the t-shirts exactly how we wanted. Same with the water bottles and now the the planners. And it's just so fun to to be, you know, excited about creating that stuff for you all. Yeah. So with that, let's move on to some other news we wanted to discuss. This week, we wanted to bring the conversation back around to the true crime genre. But this time, we wanted to talk about the ethics of consuming it for entertainment purposes. And this conversation was inspired by Netflix's new 
series called Dharmer Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story. This is a show that hails from Ryan Murphy and stars, surprise, surprise, Evan Peters. We all know that Ryan Murphy loves to work with Evan Peters. He's been in almost, I think, probably, if not all, almost all of the American Horror Story shows. So seemed like he was a shoo-in for this role. Mm -hmm. Uh, The series does center on the titular serial killer, which many of you will probably be familiar with because he's one of the most infamous. Um, He murdered 17 men and boys between the years of 1978 and 1991. Uh, Shortly after this show was released, it actually ended up ranking in the number one spot on Netflix's top 10 most watched series of the week. Uh, But not everyone is pleased about the new show premiering, which brings us to the subject of our discussion today. Specifically, a few family members of the real-life victims have actually taken to Twitter to speak out against the show. And the tweet that really caught my eye came from Eric Perry, whose cousin Errol Lindsay was one of Dharma's victims. Uh, Eric tweeted, I'm not telling anyone what to watch. I know true crime media is huge right now, but if you're actually curious about the victims, my family, the Isabels, are pissed about this show. Recreating my cousin having an emotional breakdown in court in the face of the man who tortured and murdered her brother is wild. And to pair his words, he actually tweeted a side by side video of the actual um, court breakdown that his cousin had, along with the one that was dramatized for the Netflix series. Uh, it didn't stop there. Pa- Perry actually ended up going on to also explain something that I don't think many people take into account when they sit down to consume true crime, because like I said, it's a very popular genre right now. Uh, Perry revealed that because murders are public record, producers of true crime shows aren't required to give the families of the victims they portray a heads up. He tweeted, quote, So when they say they're doing this with respect to the victims or honoring the dignity of the families, no one contacts them. My cousins wake up every few months at this point with a bunch of calls and messages, and they they know there's another Dharma show. It's cruel. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? That's horrific. to relive the darkest days of your life. So we we can get to the ethics that we're wanting to talk about here in a few minutes or here momentarily of popular media representations of these prolific serial killers and others who have just done heinous acts to real people. I don't understand who are these people who are texting the family members of victims being like, hey, there's a new show about the guy who murdered your cousin. Where's your tact? Why would you send that to somebody? Yeah. Like, they're obviously going to be aware of it. There's no way that they're not going to be aware of it. Why the fuck would you send that to somebody? That's just trashy. I know. I totally agree. I can't see how you would want to pile on because you have to know, like you said, that everybody's doing the same thing. Maybe it's just like a level of surprise or shock and they don't know what else to do with this information. So they just go directly to family members. Right. Keep that shit to yourself. They probably already know. Yeah. And then I think to make matters even worse, we all know Netflix, you know, it's not like this is Lifetime or some random channel you know, channel 102 on your cable television. This is Netflix in the case of this show. This is the biggest streamer on the planet. 
everybody in the world can watch this show because it's a Netflix original. You have the world's attention on you. Netflix is featuring it. You know, I bet if I go over to LA right now, I'll see freaking giant billboards for this show. Admittedly, I've never really thought about what the family members might make of all this until we were having this discussion and I saw this tweet that went viral. And it is, it's really disturbing and sad. I, I feel really sad for family members of any victims whose stories then get turned into television shows or movies for profit and entertainment. Yeah. It should also be pointed out that obviously this is the tweet that caught our attention, but Perry is not the only family member of a victim who has spoken out against the true crime genre. Brooke Preston's sister has called out Hulu multiple times to remove the documentary Dead Asleep. There's been petitions made to pull stuff like that. Time magazine also has a fantastic article if you all want to read more from the victims themselves detailing what it's like to go through rehashing these really dark moments in their family's history every time a new true crime documentary or true crime series that profiles their family members pops up because like Perry said in his tweet, they're not obligated to notify the family. So, you know, you might not even hear about this until the news comes out that a show has been greenlit or the first trailer drops, which is insane. Yeah, it's it's wild. And I think, you know, when I think about Dead Asleep, because um, I did watch that one, they have footage in there of Brooke Preston's family members being notified by the police what had happened to their daughter. They have footage of her sister. And again, because all of that is public record, they don't have to get permission to use it. So you're seeing people in, you know, the most vulnerable and traumatic moments of their life. And they didn't even give consent for that to be shown. Can we draw a line between scripted and, let's say, a documentary or a docuseries? I would say maybe, but on the other hand, they're both forms of entertainment. So I don't know if you can really draw a line there and say one one is okay and the other is not. Yeah. Unless I, yeah. the family is directly working on the project because they want the story out there. That makes sense. Yeah. I think it's really complicated because you can also make the argument that it's in the public interest to have a level of awareness that these things happened, despite how horrific they are, and that it gives people, even if it's only one person, the level of awareness that might save their life one day if they were to ever encounter someone like this. So I think that that is an argument that proponents of these kinds of shows and documentaries use. I do admittedly watch a lot of these kinds of shows. I've seen the first episode of this Dahmer show. I personally fall somewhere in the middle, which I feel like is usually <laughs> where I am because I can see a lot of valid points brought up by multiple people in terms of like the the merits of doing something like this, but then also the damage that it can cause. I think another huge problem with this type of media, you know, thinking about the Dahmer show being on Netflix in the top 10 list, it really does come across as entertainment first. And like 
the point of the show isn't to necessarily inform or educate people. I've heard people in public spaces talking about this show as though it's just a show when for all you know, the person sitting at the table next to you in the restaurant where you're talking about this has a family member who was a victim of Dahmer or someone else. So I think it's really important to exercise some self-awareness when you're consuming this content and not chat about it very openly and publicly like you just watched an episode of Game of Thrones. You know, these are real people. And we have to remember that if we're choosing to consume these shows. Point blank. Yeah, that's a great point. I think the other reason that, you know, this show specifically seems to have left a bit of a sour taste and even casual viewers mouth is also because there are no shortage of, um, you know, Dahmer titles. There have been like three that have been released within the last maybe five years or so. So it sort of begs the question, how many docuseries or biopics do we really need about the same serial killer when they've already been done? Well, for starters... Ryan Murphy can do whatever the hell he wants, for better or for worse. You know, this guy... To be fair, he does have a multi-year deal with Netflix, so... Exactly. They spent the big bucks on him. And if they put his name on a project, people will show up. I'm sure to some extent, Evan Peters is a big draw for people. We mentioned this being in the Netflix top 10. I'm on Netflix's homepage right now. It's his number one TV show in the US today. Now, I will say... These shows and movies and documentaries get greenlit because they are compelling stories and people just want a good story. And then you have this other problem where Hollywood is oftentimes fresh out of ideas and they don't want to take risky bets on an entirely new idea. So they rehash the same things to Pam's point about, you know, three or four shows or stories about this already. They want to do what works. That said, maybe there should be a shift towards all original killer shows that aren't ripped from the headlines. I think of like Broadchurch, a whodunit, a very good drama out of the UK. Yeah. Maybe there needs to be more of that, but it's too risky. To that point, though, I mean, you know, we have seen Hollywood be very successful with shows about fictionalized serial killers. Dexter is a great example of that. It just came back for uh, a reboot or I'm sorry, a revival. Uh, There's Netflix's You series, which is also same vibes. You have Only Murders in the Building, which is not I don't it's that's more like true crime adjacent, but it still kind of falls into that same genre. I just recommended The Patient. On FX, that's about a serial killer. Mm, There you go. I will say, you know, I also think that there is a middle ground where you can produce these types of big budget shows in a way that's more ethical. An example I'm thinking of is also one that came from Netflix a few years ago, When They See Us. Um, It's not exactly the same subject matter. It's about the Central Park Five, right? Um, But they are victims of a corrupt police system. And the show worked directly with them and their families. They were even featured, like the actual people it happened to were featured at the end of the show. I don't know the extent to which they were involved, but there definitely was involvement. So I think there is a way to do that. 
Um, but you just have to accept that sometimes people aren't going to want to be involved in reliving their trauma. And I think that we all just have to tread very lightly with that in mind as consumers, but also, you know, definitely producers of this type of content have to keep that in mind. And that's where it feels sort of crass, right? Because, yeah. you know, in, in the idea of producers reaching out to families and asking, is this okay, is all fine and good until they turn around and say, well, we're going to do it anyway, regardless. So you might as well work with us. You know, it yeah. still feels like a an uneven power dynamic. It is. Yeah, but I, I totally agree with you that there there has to be a way that if, you know, Hollywood wants to keep chugging with this um with this genre that they should figure out how to make it and make it in a more ethical manner for sure how about just like a message at the beginning or end of every episode well also working with you know survivors and victims families to determine the most appropriate causes that the show production can financially support yeah there are a number of, you know, very good causes all around the world that support victims and their families and survivors. Why not use the platform you have to promote that? Laura, will you continue watching the show? Yeah. You're yeah, sick. We're definitely. <laughs> no, I mean, I will continue watching the show, but I am remembering that it's a very real piece of just traumatic history for a lot of people. And I'm not going to come on this show and evangelize about the Jeffrey Dahmer show on Netflix. I'm just not going to do it because I know that that would be hurtful to a lot of people. But you're paying like 15, 20 bucks a month for Netflix. You got to get your money's worth. <laughs> well, I think I can get my money's worth with other shows, too. To Maybe. There's a lot of crap on Netflix, too. There is. But I, I am an admitted true crime junkie, 100%. Yeah, you are. You love murder. Y'all know this about me um, because I find it all fascinating. However... I have to acknowledge that there's a level of privilege with that, right? I get to find it fascinating because neither myself nor anyone in my family has been a victim. And if that weren't the case, I would probably feel very differently. Yeah. I just wish that consumers of true crime could see that duality and acknowledge it because then it makes it a lot easier to have conversations like these. I do have a quick question for you and then we can move on. Um, has there ever been an instance where you sit down to watch a true crime show or listen to a true crime podcast where it you just kind of get the ick? in terms of how they choose to portray it, and then you've turned it off? That's really good. A good question. I will say Payne Lindsay, who some of y'all might be familiar with if you've listened to any of his shows, he's a true crime podcaster. And he has done a couple of podcasts about, you know, murders that have happened here in Georgia. And his second podcast was called Atlanta Monster, and it was about the Atlanta child murders from the late 70s into the 80s. It was hard to finish that podcast because he, one, wasn't unearthing anything new. It was sort of like a regurgitation of a lot of what we already knew. So probably good for people as a primer who didn't know about who didn't know much about the subject. Um, but it was hard for me to finish that one because it honestly just felt kind of exploitative. <laughs> 
um, because true crime is in. And this is a story that admittedly at the time and even now hasn't gotten the attention that it deserves. It kind of felt like the whole show was about him trying to score an interview with Wayne Williams, who's the alleged um, killer in that case. So it that one really didn't resonate with me because there was no there was no real goal in mind. It felt like he had a really successful first season of his show and he was looking for a new case um, to kind of propel the show forward in its success. And it just kind of fell flat. So I wasn't really able to be interested by it. That was a really long answer. <laughs> no, but I appreciate it because I think that it's good for people that enjoy the genre as well to know that it's o- it's okay to do that as long as you yeah keep in mind or, or could just consume it with a critical lens, right? Yeah. Keep in mind that these are real people. And also if something feels like it's exploitative, like you said, then you know it's not worth your views. It's not worth you giving it more traction. And to that point about a critical lens, maybe if anything comes out of conversations that society is having about shows like this one this week, or the coverage that John Oliver recently gave to shows like Law and Order SVU glorifying police, people will start realizing that all these dramatizations and interpretations of crime are not okay or accurate in many cases. I wanted to call out um, something Court is saying in the Discord, you know, thinking about how complicated the subject of our tr- is true crime as a genre? Is it ethical? Court had a really good point in saying some true crime documentaries have helped exonerate people who didn't commit the crimes and even put the right people behind bars. So there is a lot of gray area as well. Well, should we move on to a midterm update? Yeah, we can definitely hop on in here. So, um, Bear with me, y'all. So I have um, some domestic stories, a couple here that we're going to talk about, um, and then we're going to pivot into talking about some events that are happening around the world because none of this exists in a vacuum. And I think it's a great reminder as we head into our own country's elections here in the next couple of months. So in thinking about our midterms, There are more and more desperate bids um, from various politicians to shore up votes. Uh, One case we're going to talk about involves uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott, as well as Florida Governor and creepy alcoholic ventriloquist dummy Ron DeSantis. (laughs) Greg Abbott has been spending state funds to send um, people who have migrated here to Democratic cities in an effort to score political points. It's worth a mention here that these um, people who've migrated here um, are asylum seekers and they are present here 100% legally. Um, I will say, not that we think that should matter here on the show. People always deserve to be treated with humanity and dignity, no matter their immigration status. And Later on, Ron DeSantis uh, enacted a copycat program, which has gotten a lot of coverage over the last couple of weeks. And he has flown dozens of people to Martha's Vineyard in an effort to stick it to the libs. (laughs) He's also talked about 
wanting to fly people to uh, President Biden's home state of Delaware. Um, There was also a a case of people being delivered in a bus to Kamala Harris's home. (laughs) Um, And it's really all an attempt to change the narrative around this election. Um, We'll get to talking about that here in a second, but I did just want to include that 48 of these people have already sued Ron DeSantis for this illegal scheme and that this policy is also being challenged in federal court. Um, And also just, you know, honorable mention, although he's not getting as much coverage in the news, Arizona Governor Doug Ducey is doing the same thing. So fuck him, too. So what Abbott and DeSantis are thinking is that by sending these people to say Martha's Vineyard, the libs will be caught bluffing. Oh, yes, we want migrants, but not here. We don't want these people here. Yep. And so far, it's not working. A church took these migrants in. So that plan backfired. And now, as Laura mentioned, there's this lawsuit in the works. This lawsuit is, or at least one of them, is originating in Texas because the migrants that DeSantis sent actually came from Texas. They crossed the border. They were in Texas. And John Oliver, again, uh, did a little segment on this. And he pointed out that DeSantis actually didn't have many migrants to send to Martha's Vineyard in Florida, so he had to find people in Texas, which basically makes the point that there isn't a major issue in Florida. And I don't think there's one in Texas either. And by the way, Florida and Texas are already equipped to welcome in migrants. Martha's Vineyard, which hosts 20,000 people year-round, you know, people who already uh, live there or just visit during the summer, they are not equipped. That's a small place. They cannot handle an influx of people coming from anywhere. So they were just trying to embarrass the libs, and it didn't work. No. But there will be more of this, it seems like, which is disturbing, and these poor people are being flown around the country, tricked into going different places when they're actually not welcomed there. I mean, they are welcome there. But in the case of Martha's Vineyard, they didn't know they were coming. They were caught by surprise. Yeah, it's also human trafficking. We can just call it what it is. We'll call a spade a spade. Um, And even if, if you can't muster up the empathy to care about any of that, um, you know, if you're fiscally conservative, you might give a shit that Florida is spending Florida's money to help Texas with this illegal scheme. And also a lot of these funds are also funds that the states receive from the federal government. So they're using state and federal money to do something illegal when that money is earmarked for their states to be able to support the initiatives they need to grant asylum (laughs) to asylum seekers. Um, So even if you don't have empathy for the people, I would think that the mismanagement of funds should be disturbing to the more fiscally conservative among us, but um, can't speak for them. Something else I wanted to point out is that um, this is not the first time that racists have pulled this kind of shit. I'm sure y'all have heard at some point about the Freedom Rider movement. Um, 
during the civil rights movement where in allies, you know, both black and white were riding on buses all over the South in an effort to desegregate our busing systems so that people were not forced to sit anywhere specific on their bus in relation to the color of their skin. And um, Southern segregationists actually implemented a reverse Freedom Riders program in order to get back at the libs again. And they bust Black people to Northern, primarily Democratic cities in an effort to prove that Democrats don't actually want or care about Black voters. They just want to have the votes. So if they want them so badly, let's just send them there and see how much they enjoy it. They were really trying to call their bluff on that front. Um, I read a really interesting NPR article talking about how one family and like it's it it kind of makes me like I start to get heated when I think about it. But one family was told that they were going to be meeting um, President Kennedy. Oh, wow. When they got off their bus. And that's the kind of shit that they're pulling now. It's racism and it is an attempt to directly shape the narrative around the issues that Americans care about heading into these midterms. The border is not the top of anyone's list right now. According to Pew Research Center, the top issues for voters, top five issues for voters going into this election are the economy, gun policy, violent crime, health care, and voting policies. And NPR and PBS are citing inflation and abortion as the top two issues in their polling. The border is not raiding anywhere. And this is a desperate plea for them to cling to something that they think can swing voters into their corner. They are making an issue where there is not an issue. And their interpretation of our border uh, complications, which admittedly, like it is very complicated. Our immigration system is absolutely broken. But there, it's a racist dog whistle. That's what it comes down to at the end of the day. I don't think that, you know, as much as I dislike Abbott and DeSantis, I don't think that either one of them truly believes that these are people coming into the country illegally that we're just like plucking <laughs> out of, you know, wherever they think they're coming from and putting them on buses immediately. They know that's not what's happening, but they are allowing the narrative to convince people that it is what's happening. Anyone who who watches Fox News is not receiving any level of nuance. No, it's all about the latest caravans coming over. Exactly. There's no nuance about the people and the fact that these are asylum seekers who are, again, 100% legally present. They are allowed to do that. And even if they weren't, who gives a fuck? They're still people. And by the way, Biden has been very tough on the border. This just came out a couple days ago. Arrests along the U.S.-Mexico border topped two million a year for the first time yeah. in the past year. So actually, Fox News celebrates this news, but they're probably not talking about it because it's a win for the Biden administration, which would be a big no-no on, on their network. 
in America, we have this huge, you could call it a misunderstanding, and that would be a diplomatic way of saying it. We think that we are so beyond the atrocities that happen in other countries around the world. And we th- we look at these things and we think they could never happen here when they're actively happening here right under our noses. And we just don't see it because it is the particular brand of oppression that American exceptionalism has made us all accept as normal. And related to that point, I want to talk about some news that's been happening around the world this week. You have probably seen um, either in the news, although it might be more likely that you've seen it on social media and TikTok, Masa Amini was murdered by Iran's morality police for, quote, unsuitable attire, aka she was allegedly wearing her hijab too loosely in the capital city of Tehran. She was detained. And the next thing that was reported on this was that she had died. She died on September 16th, and uh, the government tried to claim that this healthy 22-year-old woman had a couple of heart attacks that took her out, but her family has been very vocal about saying that they don't think that's what happened. In fact, um, details around her condition show that she was very likely violently murdered while in police custody. One piece of evidence there, I think, was some edited security footage. Ever since um, Massa died, anti-government protests have broken out across Iran. Unfortunately, as expected, the government has responded with crackdowns and violence. Amnesty International said on Twitter that Iran's security forces have responded to the protests with unlawful force including by using live ammunition, birdshot, and other metal pellets, killing dozens of people and injuring hundreds of others. They are also restricting internet access to prevent sharing of happenings in Iran, in particular access to programs like WhatsApp and Instagram, as well as internet service in general in certain areas are being restricted. The U.S. Treasury on that point is allowing tech companies to expand Internet access in Iran in light of the crackdown. Yeah, I think that this is um, one of those rare instances where despite how horrific this story is, I'm so grateful for social media because it offers us a real life glimpse as to what's happening and it makes it something that we cannot ignore because we shouldn't be ignoring this, right? I'm not surprised to hear that the government is restricting stuff like internet access and trying to stifle these voices that are speaking out. But it's not an easy story to digest. Um, At the same time, I implore everybody not to look away and to read up on it because it is so important to understand what's happening over there. I'm just really glad that there is this level of pushback for such terrible event. It also takes a hell of a lot of bravery to protest like this. Especially for for women over there as well. Like I can't imagine. Well, I can because I I think at a certain point, you know, what's right, what is the right thing to do, but it must be terrifying to speak up and speak out after seeing what happened to somebody else that also identifies as a woman. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, it kind of brings me back to 
what I was talking about a few minutes ago about America thinking that we are so beyond the possibility of something like this happening here. And we're not, we're just not. No. I mean, look at what's happening with a with abortion. A hundred percent. I mean, it's the same thing. We're literally putting women in, in a position that could be endangering their lives. Yep. A hundred percent. And And listen, like, if somebody wants to wear a hijab, they should be free to do so. But there should not be one, there shouldn't be any penalty for not wanting to wear one. Um, your freedom of expression is your choice. And I think it's sort of a, it's a base expectation for human rights in general, but we can look at it as a women's rights issue too. Talking about Iran, it's not about Islam and talking about this country. It's not about Christianity. It's about control. It's always about control when it comes to women. So I I think that we're kind of consuming a diet of steady steaming bullshit if we think that something like this wouldn't be possible here. I continue to just be like in awe of the people who are rising in the streets in Iran because they know what they're facing. Yeah, I'd be terrified too. Yeah, they know what they're facing, but they're doing the right thing anyway. A couple of other things that I just wanted to touch on here quickly. Um, Vladimir Putin recently announced uh, a military draft to bolster forces in his attack on Ukraine, because that's not going terribly well for Russia. Um, And in response, Russian men are fleeing the country to avoid enlistment. Many of them are traveling to Istanbul in Turkey because it's one of the few places Russians can travel to without visas. Um, It's also come out that flights from Russia to Turkey are sold out for the next several weeks. So people who have not had a chance to get out yet are having to seek alternate means to do so. And men are actually being questioned when leaving the country now to determine, are you a draft dodger or are you really just traveling for business? Um, Additionally, Putin signed a law last week sentencing those who evade or refuse to serve uh, 10 years in prison. Jeez. Yeah, I remember when the war in Ukraine started, we said we'd update everybody every couple of weeks, and we didn't really do that. And I think part of the reason why is because there just really hasn't been much to update people on. You know, like Russia gets some wins, Ukraine gets some wins, and it's kind of this back and forth, push and pull. And yeah, recently it hasn't looked very good for Russia. And clearly many countries are standing with Ukraine. And it's been great to see that that support has helped bolster Ukraine in this fight. I feel terrible for these people who are being drafted and who are going to very likely die because Ukraine has so much assistance. My big takeaway at the moment in terms of this war is what Putin's going to do next. And I listen to experts talk about this and nobody really knows. And I think that's the most terrifying thing about this. We just don't know how he's going to act. Clearly, he's hellbent on seeing this through. Right. Clearly, he wants to annex some parts of Ukraine, but we just don't know how, how far he's going to take it. And he's spouted off a lot of threats so far. We don't know how those will all pan out. But I do have faith that if things got really, really bad, America fuck yeah, and other countries could band together to take care of Putin. I did see that Putin granted Russian citizenship to Edward Snowden the other day, and I saw a good tweet about that being like, wow, he's really running out of guys who can fight in the war if he has to grab grab Edward Snowden right now. 
Aren't they coming up to an election in Russia as well? I know there have been some referendums that people have been, I was reading about this, uh, forced at like in front of police, essentially, to register to vote in. And they relate specifically to Ukraine's sovereignty or, you know, the lack thereof that Russia would like to see in their future. Do you think we should steal Ukraine? Let us know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. I mean, they might as well put that on the poll. And also, Roshni is pointing out in the Discord, Russia is trying to put elections through in Ukraine by asking people if they want to be part of Russia. So I think that might have been what I was reading about Ukrainians mm-hmm. being basically told at gunpoint, like, hey, do you want to be Russian? I see. It's horrific. I'm also in awe of the Russian people who are taking a stand against this, whether they're taking to the streets, because there have been protests and demonstrations against this unjustified uh, attack on Ukraine, um, but also choosing to leave, choosing to get out and resettle somewhere else because they don't want to take part in a war. Yeah, all of that is also very brave. It really is. Like, that's something I don't think Americans have any concept of. No. At least not a lot of us. I mean, there certainly there are people here who've come from other places who do, but I think that's an area where we lack perspective. And the last thing that I would say is that um, this has made some headlines too. Far-right leader Georgia Um, Maloney, I think I said that right, will become Italy's first female prime minister, which sounds great. But she's also the leader of the Brothers of Italy party, which is a party that um, is, you know, uh, kind of like a phoenix rising from the ashes of fascism. Another Mussolini. Yeah. Uh, The Brothers of Italy is known for its anti-immigrant policies, nationalist views, and focus on, quote, traditional families. So we know who that is targeting. Um, This outcome is raising some concerns in Washington, of course, given Italy's history with fascism, although there are some Republicans who are applauding the election, which, you know, you can probably guess (laughs) who that would be. But all of this is to say... And I'm going to get off my soapbox here in a second. Think globally, act locally. I didn't come up with that. It's, you know, you've been hearing that term, that terminology for a while, but it's really true because none of this shit is happening in a vacuum. None of it. It's all related. Yeah. You have to remember that as we head into this election and as we head into our future elections. And that is my Debbie Downer soapbox contribution to the show for the week. Well said. Well, speaking of traditional families, I'll just inject a bit of good news really quick. Cuba approved same-sex marriage in a referendum the other day. That was pretty exciting. And by the way, Cuba currently is exciting. dealing with Hurricane Ian. So we're thinking of all the people who are yeah. in the hurricane's path, particularly mm-hmm. in Florida right now. Looks like they're about to mm-hmm. get fucked. Um, so yeah. stay safe and uh, try not to get fucked. To wrap things up today, just wanted to run through a couple of lighter stories, and we'll call this Andrew's Tech Corner because I'm a loser nerd who gets really worked up about these various things. Instagram Reels, which we've touched on from time to time, Instagram's TikTok competitor, is not going well no matter how hard they try to shove it in our faces. 
quoting The Verge now, an internal meta document obtained by The Wall Street Journal paints the picture of Instagram struggling to court creators as Reels engagement falls. Compared to 197.8 million hours users spent on TikTok every day, Instagram users are spending 17.6 million hours watching Reels. That's less than a tenth of the viewership hours. So really nobody is watching Reels compared to TikTok. This came out, like I said, in a leaked document from Meta. Meta did say, well, this information is out of date. It represented a moment in time screenshot. And they say the numbers have grown since then. But I think, and we were talking about this a month or two ago on the show, Instagram has really shoved reels in our faces and nobody wants it. We go to Instagram for the pictures and double tapping on the pics and not pausing what we're doing to listen to videos. At least that's how I take in uh, Instagram and I don't want it to change. If I want video, I'm going to go to TikTok or YouTube. So it just hasn't been going well for them. They also have this issue with original content on Reels. Nearly a third of videos are made somewhere else with a watermark or something else that gives it away, <laughs> according to the same leaked leaked document. To entice people to make content for Instagram and Facebook, Meta has earmarked $1 billion for creator payouts through the end of the year. Instagram Reels creators have received a total of $120 million so far. And I know YouTube also recently announced a program to start paying creators for YouTube Shorts, which is another TikTok clone. But according to Hank Green, this actually isn't very good news at all. But maybe we'll get into that another time. You two don't use Instagram Reels, right? No. Well, I know our shows do. (laughs) Oh, so do we have to say? You're right. I guess we do. Never (laughs) mind. Reels are really great. Um, I can't think of a better platform than Instagram Reels. (laughs) No, we do the TikToks too. And I'm pretty sure Chloe posts the TikToks and the Reels. Yeah. We're you. No, no, no. We're using both of the tools. And I think that's the point, right? The point is you're trying to reach people where they are. And we can say that and say that we use Reels and TikTok while also acknowledging that TikToks reach more people than Reels do. It's okay to say. Our Reels are very good for anyone who hasn't checked them out. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't know. I don't see them. (laughs) No, I do see them in in the feed, but I don't listen to them because I don't go to Instagram. Sorry, uh, I'll admit it. I don't uh, watch the Reels because I'm not on on Instagram to watch videos. But I know social media managers want to use Reels because Instagram is trying to feature Reels. And when you're a social media manager, you want to try to get as many eyeballs on your content as possible. Also, we have an update on a previous story. Pam, you told us about this a few months ago on episode 821. People were returning ebooks after reading them on Amazon and it was causing some authors to have to actually pay Amazon due to all the returns. Well now Amazon is tightening its ebook return policy to thwart book talk. The Authors Guild says it reached the deal after negotiating with Amazon executives. This honestly shocks me that Amazon was actually willing to listen to the Authors Guild. This is like a rare example of Amazon actually doing something to help authors or creators in general. 
Now, people can still return books they've read larger portions of on Amazon, but according to the Authors Guild, they'll need to send a customer service request that will be manually reviewed and could subject buyers to penalties if they habitually abuse it. So in other words, it's going to get a little bit harder to return ebooks. And Amazon plans to limit automatic ebook returns to cases where people have read no more than 10% of the book. And this change is going to take place by the end of the year. Well, I think that this is great because it was a huge oversight on Amazon's part to make this so that it was even possible. And again, if you're one of the people that are like actually upset about this, go to the fucking library. The books are free. You don't need to be yeah. like taking money out of authors' pockets because I think people think about this as like kind of stealing from the rich, which would be, you know, Jeff Bezos. But you're not really hurting Bezos here. You're hurting the author. And just don't do this. Yeah, but definitely a huge oversight and long overdue. So I was glad to hear about this. Yeah. Well, it is funny. I'm glad that this one is coming to an end, this little hack. But I'm and I think about this all the time. Is anyone else a little paranoid that their favorite life hacks are going to be ruined by TikTok trends? Say, you know, of a really good hack and maybe it's an official hack and it's endorsed by the company, but you or I am paranoid that it's going to go so viral that a business is going to take it away, take away a benefit. Case in point, I'll sometimes see on TikTok videos about Starbucks's free refill policy on hot, hot slash iced coffees or teas. I love this benefit. I go into Starbucks every Saturday morning before recording MuggleCast. I got one large hot coffee because I'm a straight in that regard. And I sit there and I sip my large hot coffee. And then before I leave, I walk up to the counter and I say, give me my free refill. And I love it. I get two coffees for the price of one. And by the way, they don't charge extra for oat milk like those motherfuckers at Dunkin' who are now charging $1.20 for a splash of oat milk. Go to hell, Dunkin'. Really? $1.20. What? Really? Add oat milk to your Dunkin' right now. No, I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. That's what I said. That's bad. I brought my own oat milk the other day to Dunkin' because I will not stand for that nonsense. To that point, Andrew, I also do the same thing at Starbucks. Uh, You can also get free refills on cold brew if you stay in, which like, you know, really exciting news for the gays out there because I hear the gays love cold brew. Yes, I'll uh, have to inform Pat about that. Yeah, you can get and and I, I, I don't do this anymore because like the price at Starbucks has just gotten astronomical but i believe that they'll even like honor if you paid extra for uh syrup because every time i've ever asked for just a cold brew refill even if i you know like in october i've asked for two pumps of say like pumpkin in the venti cold brew or something they'll still put the pumpkin syrup in there which i think is really great so it's a nice little way to save some money yeah for sure so i'm i'm paranoid like some of these hacks are going to get out of control and then starbucks is going to be like wow we might be losing a little money on this so uh, it's time to get rid of that benefit and another case in point um there was this hack that went viral at chipotle the taco hack well this one is the three dollar burrito hack i i think i've heard about the taco hack too but in this one 
you take advantage of the generous amounts of customizations users are offered on the Chipotle app. Even when ordering a single taco, so yeah, right, right, Pam, customers could select to add nearly every additional ingredient on the side into those little plastic cups at no additional cost. From there, users would also order a tortilla on the side, which ironically enough, Chipotle now charges for because of issues with previous hacks. Then when everything arrived, hackers were advised to dump all the ingredients on the onto the tortilla, roll the burrito themselves, and this would save you four dollars. <laughs> so you get everything on the side in a single taco, and then you make your own burrito. <sighs> but Chipotle has now adjusted their app so people can't do this anymore. So these companies are taking notice when this stuff runs out of control. I honestly like the the money hacks don't bother me as much. I don't know what this says about me, but like those don't bother me as much as when people uh, like give away hidden gems, you know, because then it's like if it's a place that I really like to go and then it pops off on TikTok, it's like, well, sucks for me because now that place is just going to be super busy. This has been a big problem with national parks and Instagram. Yeah, that I mean, of course, that's another big one as well. It's such like a a double-edged sword, right? Because I think we've all learned about hacks and hidden gems that we probably wouldn't otherwise have known about if it weren't for social media or word of mouth or some other kind of cross-communication between people, right? Like we have, there's this really good um, Chinese bun place here in Atlanta on Buford Highway. It's very much like a hole in the wall type place. It's hidden. It's kind of tucked in um, off, you know, the main drag. And it's exceptional. I only found out about it because of TikTok. I might not have found out about it otherwise. But is the place screaming busy now because of TikTok? A hundred percent. But I'm glad that they're getting business. But I can see how some of the regulars before it went viral on TikTok are probably like, meh, yeah. this was my place. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, I just wanted to vent about that for a second because, oh, man, I do love those free refills at Starbucks. Bonus recommendation, like, if you guys have a Panera near you, yeah. you should sign up for that unlimited, unlimited Sips Club. It's like $11 and... You know, I it's not their iced coffee is not gonna be cold brew, but like if you can, um, you know, if you're used to like Dunkin' Donuts, which is kind of hit and miss, sometimes the coffee's great, sometimes it's bad, then you'll be just fine at Panera and it's gonna save you a lot of money in the long run. I actually was there uh, for breakfast over the weekend, Pam, and I did like their coffee, I hadn't had it in a while, though they're not woke, they don't have oat milk, they're still doing almond milk, they so don't. I had to deal with almond milk oh my god i know almond milk is like so 2012 i know i know what's the deal (laughs) what's the deal with that and by the way before anybody says anything i still have my non-dairy on the weekends i'm doing black coffee on weekdays i completely forgot you switched to black coffee i just wanted to let everybody know i'm still very sophisticated as long as you aren't one of these people who you know, is pretentious about their black coffee because sometimes <laughs> like people I just really was. can be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it might have been a little bit of like a hint. Like, tone, it, tone it down a little. Let's dial it back. I'm just imagining Andrew in line at Starbucks hearing somebody order black coffee. And I'm just imagining the thought bubbles 
being like, wow. Wow, they got balls. I like a good cup of black coffee, but the way I would never order black coffee at Starbucks. Yeah, same. Their coffee is awful. Oh, shots fired. They burn their coffee, right? They burn their coffee. How about the blonde roast, though? No, I hate the blonde roast. Tastes like piss. I really like the blonde roast. Okay. Okay. No. All right. Tastes like piss. <laughs> There's moments on the show sometimes that I just know are going to stick with me forever. And now I know every Saturday morning I'm going to be having my first sip of Starbucks Blonde Roast and I'm going to be like, ah, yes, tastes like piss. It's like the piss is extra good today. It's like that. <laughs> the piss is extra good today. <laughs> it's going to be a pissy oh, morning. That's amazing. Just like that time Laura once said that when somebody farts, like poop particles go in the air. That's like something I've never forgotten about did i say that yeah did she say that might have been before my time but now i'm never gonna not think about this it was within the past year or two and i even said laura i'm gonna never unthink that now thank you i think i erased that from my memory (laughs) i I wish i could (laughs) it's back if you want to be disturbed by how much fecal matter there is in the world and everything you touch just like no stop (laughs) stop stop i think I will say, I think all of that started a few years ago when we talked about people in like in their bathroom, they either have their toothbrush like stored in a drawer oh, okay. or they it's have all a coming cover back on to it. Me now. Yes. And I, at the time, just had my toothbrush like out and about, no cover on it. But I now keep it in a drawer because y'all had such a shit fit being like, every time you flush the toilet, poop is getting on your toothbrush. Oh, stop. (laughs) I am mindful of like, if the toilet is right next to the sink, I put the toothbrushes on the side of the sink that's away from the toilet. Does that help? Probably not. It's a difference of like two feet, but still peace of mind. Okay, well, this Well, really... I put mine in a drawer now. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> this conversation derailed. Yeah, it did. <laughs> okay, well, and really quickly, just wanted to mention Instagram nudity protection will block unsolicited nude photos and DMs. This is a feature that they're now po- uh, testing. So that's good. And obviously, this has been a big problem. Even just last week or two weeks ago, we were talking on After Dark about how people digitally flash through airdrops and um yeah now instagram is taking steps to prevent that type of behavior as well good well anyway let's move on to some recommendations i want to recommend actually a former sponsor of the show and what i'm about to say i'm I'm plugging them but we're not getting paid for this i genuinely still love and use their products the company is apostrophe And if you remember the ad that we did, if you're a patron, you probably don't. Um, You get to work with a real dermatologist on your skin issues, but you do it online. You take a couple of pictures of your face, you do different angles, and then a dermatologist reviews the photos and then prescribes you medication. This is what I really needed because I've always dealt with acne since I was very young. And the -the over-the-counter stuff was not doing it for me, but I never went to a dermatologist. So I was very excited about Apostrophe sponsoring the show. And six months later, I'm still using the prescribed cream. I'm still working with a dermatologist every few months to review progress. And it really, really has worked. I am not getting pimples anymore. If I do, they're very small and I get rid of them very quickly thanks to this medication. So if you struggle with your acne, please... Don't ignore my suggestions just because it was an ad. Apostrophe was really great. I also just loved 
being able to not take a trip or trips to a dermatologist's office. I just love doing it all online. Um, check out the link in the show notes. It is the old link from when they were sponsoring us, apostrophe.com slash M-I-L-L. We will not get any kickback for you using this link. We will not because they're not a current sponsor. I have a recommendation um, that was actually recommended to me by our wonderful social media manager, Chloe. Um, I was in the market for a ring light because, as y'all know, um, we all spend a lot of time on camera in front of our computers. And it has become clear to me in looking at our social media videos and just watching the video live as we're streaming the video quality for me was just leaving something to be desired because one, I am pale as fuck. So a computer screen's blue light hitting my face just made me look even paler. So I asked Chloe, hey, do you have a ring light you would recommend? Because I went on Amazon and when I looked them up, all of Amazon's recommendations were like $100, $150. So I was like, oh shit, am I going to have to spend this much on a ring light? No, you don't. Because Chloe recommended one to me that was just $20. It's the one that I'm using today. I used it in last week's episode of MuggleCast. And I will say, I pulled up the uh, MuggleCast social videos for last week to show Mark and be like, hey, do you see the difference in like the quality here? And he, he legit was like, wow, that does look really good. Everyone else's lighting looks like shit. <laughs> wow. Ouch. So, I mean, this is also my pressure ploy to get all of the hosts to get a $20 ring light because it really does level up the quality of our video. But also, it's just really nice to have, even for work, when you're in work meetings and stuff, um, it's just, it's it's a nice thing to have. It kind of it really complements the Zoom filters as well and makes you look more put together than you probably are, or at least I am. So yeah, highly recommend that. Um, it's the Wileasi, uh ring light, and I will include a link in the show notes. And I wanted to recommend Trader Joe's Daily Facial Sunscreen. Obviously, we talk about Trader Joe's products fairly regularly on the show. I don't know how many of you actually go and check out their like health and beauty section. But this is a pretty great find. It's like nine bucks. This is also a very good reminder for all of you to keep wearing sunscreen even in the winter months. Um, but this is also almost an exact dupe for the Supergroup Unseen sunscreen. So if you like that texture, which is a little bit more like silicone-y, it kind of like glides on a little bit more than a like a moisturizer sunscreen would, then I would highly recommend checking this out. It's pretty great SPF 40, which is always pretty nice since it's on, you know, the higher end of the SPF spectrum. It's unscented and it goes on really nice under makeup as well. Similar to goop, but probably a fraction of the price. Yeah, you're going to save about 20 bucks, probably. Wow. That yeah, is... Yeah, I think it's 30 bucks for the Supergoop Unseen. Jeez. Yeah. Get that goop dupe. Well, don't forget, everybody, we have this awesome gift for Bay patrons, the Millennial Adulting Planner. Make sure that you become a Bay patron or upgrade to the Bay level by Thursday, October 20th to receive yours. And not only will you get this, but you'll get future physical gifts and you'll get lots of benefits every week throughout the year. 
We do a lot of stuff on our Patreon, and it's all to thank you for supporting us because we could not do the show without your support at Patreon. Also, make sure you're following the show in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. And do leave us a review if you listen through Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you have any feedback, millennialshow at gmail.com, or you can use the contact form or anonymous confessional on millennialshow.com. And then finally, follow us on social media. We are Millennial Show on Instagram, where you can find our excellent reels. Plus, we're on Twitter and Facebook at Millennial Show. And then over on TikTok, we are Millennial Pod. Again, excellent TikTok videos. Okay, I think I just saved us from Chloe leaving after I insulted her work. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Bye, everyone. (laughs) 